0: Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. You're in Acts 1 today we're finally done with the gospels we're finally done with uh the resurrection and the crucifixion and all that stuff now we're going into the next portion um and uh this is a good chapter right because here in acts one we're seeing the birth of the church we're seeing the beginnings we're seeing jesus being um raising up into heaven and ascending back to the father and a lot of good things a lot of good things um happening in this chapter uh, don't forget, guys, baptisms. Baptisms happening on Sunday um, at both locations, all services. So if you have not been baptized, um, you know someone who, who's been wanting to get baptized, come on. There's still time um, to sign up for baptisms. And then um, as well, if you're interested in um, getting a, a degree in ministry through Southeast University this Sunday, at 6 p.m. at our Egg Harbor Township location, we're having an informational meeting. Um, so, if you're a parent of someone uh, of, of a child who's graduating from high school this year and is, is kind of maybe a little bit curious um, and wanna and want a uh, cost-effective uh, way of of sending them to college, and getting a good education, um, it's where I graduated from, so it's a really good school. So please show up 6 p.m. and um, it, uh it's going to be a, a really, really good time. And uh, what else is going on? There's so much going on. We got Fight Club breakfast tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. at Maze Landing Diner. Hope to see some of you guys there. So anyway, enough of all, enough of all that stuff. Let's get into it. Acts 1, um, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to get going. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you. Jesus, for, for your word, Lord God. And I want to thank you for just a reminder of all the things that you've done for us, Father, and how you established your church, Lord God, and, and how your promises are always true. All of your promises are yes and amen, Father. And that's a that's a promise that we could stand on, Lord God, and rely upon, Lord. So Father, I pray that you will be with us during this time. I pray that it will be your words that are heard that are and not mine, Father, and I pray that I would fade to the background and you would be at the forefront, Father. Speak to us, Father, throughout this time, Lord God, and reveal new truths from your word to each and every one of my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's give a, a stretch. All right, Acts 1, and I am reading from the New King James Version. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, Not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Verse 9, now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven when they returned to jerusalem from the mount called olivet which is near jerusalem a sabbath day journey when they had entered they went up into the upper room where they were staying peter james john and andrew philip and thomas bartholomew and matthew james the son of Alphaeus, and simon the zealot and judas the son of james these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and mary the mother of jesus and with his brothers verse 15 and in those days peter stood up in the midst of the disciples altogether not the number and names of was about 120 and said men and brethren this scripture had to be fulfilled which the holy spirit spoke before the mouth of david concerning judas who became a guide to those who arrested jesus for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out and it became known to all those dwelling in jerusalem so that that field is called in their language Dama, which is field of blood for it is written in the book of psalms let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the lord jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of Baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two Joseph, called Basibus, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in his ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles amen amen all right let's give a stretch guys and if you got it get you some get you some of that bustelo because we, we about to get into it you ain't got none joe man joe oh come on man this is this there's holy ghost in this right here i got i need some of this this morning all right so starting with verse one it says the former account i made so um it is uh, the luke wrote the book of acts um the former account is you know referring to the gospel of luke and at one time the gospel of luke and the book of acts were actually one book in two volumes so it was, it was almost like first luke and second luke you know think of it like that um and at some point it was split so the book of luke was written around AD 59 to AD 60 and the book of acts was written about AD 62. And we really, we don't know that much about Luke. Um, we know he was a physician. We know he was a Gentile. We know that he was, he was a, a devoted companion to Paul. Um, now that the book of acts doesn't give the complete full account of, uh, of the history of, of the church. Um, the book of Acts spans about 30 years. Um, so it says until that day in which he was taken up, Jesus instructed his apostles about what to do in his absence. And this was, this was now the resurrected Jesus, the glorified, um, Lord Jesus, he risen. He's here. Now he's, he's back with all power, all authority. And, um, the, the Holy spirit, it um, talks about the Holy Spirit. You know, we know that that's the third member of the Holy Trinity. That is an aspect of God that that lives and empowers and inspires man. And, and the Holy Spirit has a work among those who do not yet believe, but they, He has more of a work with those who do believe. All right. And so Jesus, throughout His entire earthly ministry, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know. And so now Jesus, my man, He was He was back in full power, and but He was still back in power with the Holy Spirit. So so if the glorified, resurrected Jesus needed and relied on the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we also rely on the Holy Spirit? You know, think about this. Okay, Jesus had, he died, resurrected, you know, full power and authority, and he still relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. So why do we think that we can do better without him. We can do better without the Holy Spirit. That we can can serve in ministry under our own power and not rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's why we have burnout in the church. That's why we have people who, you know, they they come to church, they're on fire. Yeah, Jesus, you know, he saved me and blah, blah, blah. And then they're gone because they're relying on their own strength and their own power. And again, if the resurrected glorified jesus still relied on the power of the holy spirit why don't we also do that see this is the pattern for the rest of the book of acts it shows us what the holy spirit can do if it's operating in the church and 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 jesus established the fact of his resurrection with many infallible proofs the book the word says because it was about 40 days after his resurrection you know until his ascension so for 40 days my man, Jesus was showing up. He was still doing things, right? He, because Jesus wanted to leave no possible doubt that he was resurrected, right? He didn't want to show up one time, you know what I'm saying? And show up at, up in, um with the disciples, like, Hey guys, I'm here, um, but I'm leaving now. I'm going up to my father. The Holy spirit's coming. No, he hung out for 40 days, appearing to various people, various disciples. First Corinthians 15, six says after that, He was seen by once 500 brethren, brethren at once, of whom the greater pact remain to this present. So he was showing up to people so they would know. More than 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus before he ascended back into heaven, right? And most of them were still alive 25 years later during Paul's ministry, you know, as witnesses to Jesus being, being around, he tells them, don't depart from Jerusalem, okay? It would have been easy to scatter. Easy to be like, Jesus ain't here. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm taking off. I'm doing my thing. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. You know, he had, he had nothing else for them to do at this point, You know, except wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Wait. Because he knew that they could do nothing really effective for the kingdom of God until the Holy Spirit came to them. He told them to wait. What's that mean? What's waiting mean? Because too often, brothers and sisters, the Lord tells us to wait. And we're so impatient, right? We're so, come up like, you know, I want to make this happen, you know? God may give you a word to do something, right? And you're so impatient that you're like, "Mm, I think I'm going to help God. How many of us have have said, I think I'm going to help God with this? You may not have said those those exact words, I'm going to help God. But with your actions, you were saying, I got this. Like, God, you like, almost like, like, God, you need me to help you. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. But Jesus told them to wait. Wait means that it was that there was something coming that was worth waiting for. It means that there that they had a promise that was going to come. It means that they must receive this promise. Right? They couldn't create this for themselves. They couldn't make a Holy Spirit. They couldn't make a helper. They had to wait for it. And waiting means that they would be tested by the waiting. Sometimes waiting for the promise of God is hard and it's a test, right? My brothers and sisters, has God put you through a waiting and it was hard and you wanted to give up? You want to be like, I can't do this no more. I can't wait. But there are saints on this call. I guarantee it. You know, we had the. Uh, I talk about our elders. You know, we have some amazing elders in the church, and I can, I can guarantee you, if you talk to them about their lives, about their walk with God, you know, and they have said, yeah, God. I guarantee they're going to say, God has put us through some waiting. God has had us go through some stuff. However, when we waited on the promise that the Lord has. given given us the blessings, the fruit that came from it was so much more abundant than if we had just done it ourselves. Amen. It's So much greater than if we just acted out of our own power. So, so, you know, he commanded in verse four, it says he commanded, talks about the promise of the father and it talks about being baptized in the Holy spirit. See, this is, this is another example of how the, the fact of the Trinity, one God in three persons is woven into the fabric of the new Testament here we see that that he that jesus told of the promise of the father and that's about the coming of the holy spirit and it's significant that um, that this coming that this filling, this empowering of the holy spirit is called the promise of the father right so we're seeing the son talking about the promise of the father which is the holy spirit that's your trinity brothers and sisters So you ain't gonna tell me the Trinity is not in in, in the Bible. Okay, yes, the church has made up that name Trinity and given it, however, but the aspect of the Trinity, the, the things of the Trinity are in the New Testament, brothers and sisters, and there's no doubt about that. And this shows us a couple of things. It shows us that we should wait for the promise of God with eager anticipation. Because listen, a promise of the Father can only be good. God the Father has never promised anything bad for us. Now he has said in the Old Testament, you read in the Old Testament, he says, if you don't do this, this is gonna happen, right? And the children of Israel, they tested that over and over again. But I know the word also says that all his promises are yes and amen. So if he's made a promise, we know it's something that's gonna be good. It shows that it's reliable. The father would never promise something that could not be fulfilled can never promise something that that will not be fulfilled. It shows that the promise belongs to all of his children since it's from God, the father. And it shows that we we must receive the promises of the father with faith. And it says in verse five, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The idea of being baptized is to be immersed or covered over with something. Even as John baptized people in water, these disciples will be immersed in the Holy Spirit covered, full, completely filled with the Holy Spirit. So it says in verse 6, therefore, when, when they had come together, this, this would be the last time, the last time that they would see Jesus in his physical body until they went to heaven, until they, they passed on and went to glory. This was going to be the last time they were going to see Jesus. And, and, and there's nothing specific in the text to tell us that they knew this would be the last time. Um, other than the weight of the questions that they were asking. And they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Right now, is this going to happen right now? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And this was a question they had asked many times before. Jesus had been asked this many times before, but had a special relevance now because they knew that Jesus had, had now with his death, burial, and resurrection had instituted a new covenant. The old covenant under Moses with the sacrificial, sacrificing animals, that was done. That was done. Jesus fulfilled all that stuff because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. So the old covenant was done. Jesus established a new covenant in Luke 22, verse 20. So so they also know that the restoration of the kingdom to Israel was part of the new covenant. So it was, it was actually, you know, reasonable for them to wonder when the rest of the new covenant would be fulfilled. And the, the response of Jesus and in, in following verses also indicates that he did not rebuke them or even correct them for their question. He understood why, why they were questioning. He simply told them that the answer wasn't for them to know. Verse seven, it's not for you to know. We may question things about the Lord. We may question his promises. We may question why things are happening the way they're happening. And the Lord is telling us, it's not for you to know the why. I'm working. You don't need to know why things are happening the way they're happening. You may never know why things are happening the way they're happening. But we do know and have the assurance that the Lord is working. The Lord is making something happen. He, the, Jesus warned the disciples against inquiring into the, the, the timing of, of, of God's kingdom because those things belong to God the Father alone. You know, there's a verse in the Bible says, you know, only the, only, only the father knows the time of his return, right? And we've been waiting, right? For, for, for generations, we have been waiting for when Jesus is going to return. And, he, and Jesus says, not even the son knows when he will return. And there are people who, who, who think they know, they broke the code, they figured it out, but we don't know. We don't know, and, and it was wise for Jesus not to outline His plan, because you know, and it was good for the disciples to not know the, when the full restoration of the kingdom to Israel that they that they hoped for would happen. It's good for that, because it, it might overly discourage them. So you imagine if you had a promise that the, the the kingdom of Israel is going to be restored, but it ain't going to happen for like two thousand years. <laughs> you know, like how much work are you going to be doing? Because you're like, man, it's not going to happen in my, ta- my lifetime. Why am I going to do this? There are promises in your life that may not happen in your lifetime. That doesn't mean that you still don't work for the kingdom. That doesn't mean that you still don't you know, try to you know, uh, uh, plunder hell and populate heaven with souls of new believers. Because Jesus may not return during our lifetime. We don't know. We really don't know. And it doesn't matter when he comes. Because he is going to come. He will return, brothers and sisters. We know that to be fact. He will return. So the when and the why and the how, that doesn't matter. The, the fact of the matter is, is that it will happen. At the same time, Jesus did not say that this was that there was going to be no restoration of the kingdom of Israel. He simply said that the speculation until, into the time and date you know, was not proper for the disciples to worry about. Right? But, you know, again, he says, you will receive power. He will receive power. And then he says, you shall be a witness to me. The, the natural res- result of, of this promised power would be that they would become a witness of Jesus all over the earth. This wasn't a command. This was a statement of fact. You will be a witness about me. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be a witness of me. Jesus didn't recommend, recommend that he become a witness. He said that they would be a witness. And if we want to be witnesses, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. You cannot be a proper witness unless you've you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. The, 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 the best training program for evangelism, the best ministry school, I talked about Southeast University. You can get every single degree at Southeast University, but it's of a little effectiveness without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because all you got is Bible knowledge. All you have is a book that you, you can quote from front to back, that's all you have. But if you haven't been, been fulfilled with, filled with the Holy Spirit, all the truths, listen, I'm telling you if, you, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can read the Bible a hundred times and get you know 500 different nuggets of truth in the Bible. It's a living thing that continually feeds us, brothers and sisters right but if you are not filled with the holy spirit all it is is a book of stories stories and poems that's all we got but the holy spirit reveals and makes it true uh he says you know talks about you will go into jerusalem all judea samaria to the end of the earth see the progress of the spread of the gospel message for to you know jerusalem judea samaria all the ends of the earth um is outlined in the book of acts all right acts one through seven is the gospel in jerusalem Acts 8 through 12 is the gospel in Judea and Samaria, And G- Acts 13, 28 is the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And we can imagine that the, the, the disciples probably had some objections um, to, to these places that Jesus described. Because, see, Jerusalem was where Jesus was executed because of an angry mob. Because of an angry mob they got riled up, Jesus was executed. So why, why are we going to talk to, to these people in Jerusalem? in Judea they rejected his ministry while he was there Samaria was regarded as a wasteland of of impure half-breds you know we're not going to get into you know the Samaritans and how you know they had they were part Jewish and part other you know we're not going to get into that but you know the Jewish people did not like the Samaritans and the ends of the earth now we're talking about the Gentiles the Romans and every other every other uh, uh, peoples other than than the Jews and 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 by the Jews, if you were a gentile, you were no, no better than fuel for the fires of hell. So why are we gonna go talk to these people? You know, so we could imagine they were like, Oh, Jesus, you sure about this? You sure you sure are we gonna go? But you know, but God wanted a witness sent to all these places. This means because Jesus did not want, just want to save Israel. He does not want to just save the Jews. He wants to save all people. He wants to save every single person on this call. He wants to save every single family represented by every person on this call, okay? So Jesus is for all people. And the Holy Spirit would would empower them to do this work. Verse nine says, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight, right? Jesus was taken up from them as he blessed them. And the cloud that received him is suggestive as a, as a, the cloud of glory, the Shekinah glory, you know, that's associated with the presence of God in the old and new Testament. This, this cloud of glory is the same cloud that was over the tabernacle. You know, this cloud of glory is, a, is the cloud that, that guided the children of Israel through the wilderness. It's the glory of God. It's as if, right. You know, you see the pictures, you know, of you, if you grew up in, in church and, you know, Sunday school pictures of, of Jesus going up and there's clouds around him, right. I like to think of it more as he was going up and the cloud of glory, the Shekinah glory of God enveloped him as if God the father was saying, I got you, my son. I'm bringing you back home now. Your work is done. You know, as if God the father enveloped him in in, in a holy hug and said, you know, well done, my son. You've done the work, you know, for my children. And so he was taken up. And then as they watched, they were taken up. You know, it, it, was, it was important for, for Jesus to leave the disciples in this manner because he wanted his followers to know that he was gone. What he had been talking about for all those years, all this time, saying, well, at some point, I'm going to leave. I'm gone now, guys. You know, as opposed to him coming and going over the past 40 days, like he wanted them to be assured of it. Excuse me. John sixteen seven says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus had to go so the Holy Spirit can come down. He had to go. So now, the, now they knew that the promise could be fulfilled. They knew that everything he was talking about could be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit was coming because Jesus promised it. And then verse 10, it talks about two, uh, the two men, right? So we know these two men, you know, that they're angels. And they said, why do you stand gazing up to heaven? And they the these angels they told disciples to put their attention at the right place. What did Jesus tell you to do? He said, return to Jerusalem. So they were saying, Hey, hey guys, hey, hey, that's done. What did Jesus tell you to do? Take your behinds back to Jerusalem, like you were told to do, so they could go. You know, they they, they didn't don't be wandering and, and, and wondering and, and, and where did Jesus go? You know, he told them what to do. It's time for them to do it. So they returned to Jerusalem in verse 12. This was obedience, brothers and sisters. They're listening. Jesus told them to return to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what they did. They didn't forget the sermon he just preached right after he preached. How often do we hear a sermon and we're in the middle of it? We're like, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You walk out the doors of future church and you're like, you forget exactly what what the Holy spirit was speaking to you. They didn't do that. So then they went to the upper room and, and and verse 15 tells us it was, there was about 120 people present. And these 120 people, there was, it was the disciples. You had Mary Magdalene. You had uh, his mother, Mary, his mother. Um, You had his brothers, James and, and, uh, and uh, Jude were there. There were the many women who had followed him. There was a lot of people up there. You know, it's significant that his brothers were there because James and Jude were listed as as his brothers earlier in the Gospels who who questioned him, who mocked him for what he was doing, you know? But it seems that while they weren't supportive of his ministry before his death and resurrection, after his death and resurrection, their hearts were changed and they became true followers of their brother because everything he had been telling them for all this time they were like, wow, he was telling us the truth. He truly was a son of God. I can imagine Mary during their lives talking about your son, your, your, your excuse me, your brother, your brother, my son is the promised Messiah. I, right, I, right, that's Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I know that whatever, whatever, mom. But now it was like, he really is. And they continued with one accord. This is very significant, guys, that one of cord, because this is unity among the brethren. You know, see, in the Gospels, it seems like the disciples were always kind of like bickering with each other, right? You know, like, who, who's number one? Who's going to be sitting at your right hand and questioning Jesus and all this stuff? So what changed? Because... Peter still had a history of denying, of denying Jesus. Matthew was still a tax collector. They still had their junk. But the difference, see, the differences were there. But the resurrected Jesus in their hearts was greater than any difference. So now they had been through something. And they, they knew who Jesus was. It says they were in prayer and supplication. Prayer. Brothers and sisters, prayer is so important. That's why it's so important. You guys are in daily prayer. Wednesday mornings at 9, 9 a.m. at EHT and at Cumberland County, we have a time of prayer. It's so important, you know, because it says they all prayed. Supplication. Supplication is the sense of a desperation, an earnest prayer, like a deep prayer. You know, so they were they were praying. The, 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 the disciples were in obedience, they were in they were in fellowship. And then now Peter stands up, and I gotta, ooh, I gotta begin to close. He stands up, and Peter took a natural leadership, you know, among the disciples. And, and there's nothing wrong with seeing Peter as as the leader of the apostles. However, you know, and it's interesting. I just had a conversation yesterday with with, with some of our, our our staff members of the church, and it's it's so amazing how we have staff members, you know, from all different backgrounds, all different church backgrounds you know, everyone on this call right now, this Zoom meeting, you all are all from different church backgrounds, right? And, and, you know, talking about Peter, how the Catholic church believes, you know, they, they, they look at Peter as the first Pope, right? And it's like, it's like the mantle of, of the papacy is just handed down from Pope to Pope to Pope, starting with Peter, right? See, the, the, the idea that the authority of Peter was supreme and that he hands it down by succession is both unbiblical and wrong. It's very, very unbiblical. There's nothing that says that Peter was supposed to do this, even though he took a natural leadership of the apostles. Okay. And so then he, so he began to, to speak, right. And I'm not going to get into everything, but he starts, he starts quoting scripture. The first time my man is quoting scripture in the Bible, because he says, for it is written, And he talks about, you know, things that David had wrote. And and, and we're going to see here that they're going to pick another apostle. It was very important for them to pick another apostle. Because Jesus picked 12. But now there was 11. Judas had betrayed Jesus. He had committed suicide. They were down to 11. They could have easily left it the way it was. But Jesus picked 12. Satan wanted to, to disrupt that number. He got them down to eleven. So they felt now. Listen, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit yet, but through prayer, through getting into the Word, they were still receiving guidance. They were still receiving, you know, things from God, and they knew that they had to. They had to um, pick someone to replace that that office, that 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 position. Of the 12th apostle and there's you know they they there's two men they they bring up but listen verse 24 says and they prayed the first thing they did was pray and it, it and it was easy because they had already been in prayer they're just continuing to pray and this is notable because this is what jesus did before he picked his disciples you know in luke um, 6 12 to 13 it says that he prayed prior to picking them and so the disciples following jesus prayed for wisdom to know what the lord you know who the lord would add to their number and it says and they cast their lots in verse 26 now casting lots that's like drawing straws rolling dice is this really a way to pick an apostle right it's almost like you're gambling you know um so this doesn't really make sense you know but this is but nevertheless this was reliance on god because though they were not filled with the Holy Spirit, they still wanted to choose a method that made them rely totally on God, not on themselves. They didn't want to be the ones to pick the new, the new apostle, the new disciple. They wanted God to pick. You know, so, so perhaps they remembered Proverbs 16.33. Proverbs 16.33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even the lots that were cast, the decision is ultimately up to the Lord. So they, they may have been, this, this, this may have been an imperfect way to, to discern God's will, but it's much better than, than the ways that many Christians do today. How many times do we make decisions, brothers and sisters, with emotions? We make decisions based on our circumstances, on our feelings, uh, 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 with our, through our carnal desires, we make decisions and it says a lot fell on matthias. so some 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 may think that matthias was the wrong choice um but listen if it, 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 if his office had remained vacant maybe god would have picked someone else later perhaps later on he would have picked paul to fill that for that position but we must trust and respect the testimony of the scriptures god didn't want to leave that office vacant because if it had remained vacant it would have been it would have been a victory for satan because he disrupted the numbers. He disrupted what Jesus wanted. So even though after this, we don't read anything more about Matthias, it doesn't mean that, you know, that he was a failure as an apostle, you know, except for, for, for Peter and John, we don't read about any more of the, of the disciples. You know, church history tells us what happened to the various disciples going forward, where they went, what, what regions they reached, how they were, they were martyred for the, for the kingdom. But really only Peter and John we read about again in the scriptures. So we can't assume that because we don't read about Matthias again that he was a failure. Um, because so, so I, I, my, my belief is that Matthias was no more a failure than Matthew, than Thomas, than Andrew. And it says he was numbered with the 11 apostles. No one can fault the, the things they did be, before they cast lots. Because we must believe that all their things put them into the place where God Would truly guide their decisions. See, we won't make many wrong decisions, brothers and sisters. I'm going to close with this: if we did all things the way the disciples did before making their decisions, they obeyed. They were in unity and fellowship. They were in prayer. They were in the Scriptures. They had a desire to do God's will. They use sanctified common sense. They did exactly what Jesus did. They followed his example. And they did what they could do to rely on God. That's how we need to move forward, brothers and sisters, with our lives. That's how we need to move forward with with our walk with our Father. Follow the example of Jesus. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Get into scriptures and be in prayer. The word says pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. You should be in a cons- uh, continual state of prayer. I was, I was speaking at youth um, a couple of weeks back and, and I brought that up. And I, was, and I told him, I was like, listen, when it says pray without ceasing, it doesn't mean you're on your knees 24 seven, you know, just praying, 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 praying. The word doesn't say that. But you should be in a continual conversation with your father. Continue everything that's going on, why not? Why not? If you got your honey next to you, you know, you're, you're talking all day long, Right. Various things. You know, why not talk to God like that? See, we're constantly talking anyway. We're constantly being in communication with, with, with people. And, and anyway, why not be in continual communication with God? And then when you have decisions you need to make, then when things are important that you need to figure out, you know you're making the right decision and you're doing things the right way. Amen.